So I want to read to you um, a little bit from uh, Mark chapter 8, and, and I'm going I'm to do a little bit of preface here. They're, they're at Caesarea Philippi. Okay, it's kind of a cool-sounding name. Um, it was named, uh, we believe, by uh, King Herod, which is the first Herod. We, I believe that's right. Um, and, and it's named Caesarea after Caesar. Very good. And Philippi after his son. After, not Caesar's son, but after Herod's son. Because Philip would later become what we call the Tetrarch. The area that Herod ruled was divided up into four pieces, and each one of his children got one of those four pieces, and Philip got this piece of the, of the country, basically. Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, um, I've been there, and it is, when you go there, you can see the remnants of um, a temple and, and of places where they did human sacrifice, um, um, to the god Pan. So you have this Greek god that is worshipped there, and then there's a huge shrine, not in existence anymore, but you can see some pieces of it, to Caesar. Because, of course, see, we, they believe that Caesar was what? God, right? Or at least a son of God. But, and so, so they're at Caesarea Philippi. So I just, I just want you to, I want you to hear, hear what Jesus is saying in, in the midst of you know, in the midst of that kind of, that kind of power being shown in these temples and in these places of worship and devotion. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him. Does anybody know what they answered him? Not yet. Who do people say that I am? John the Baptist. Who else? Elijah, right? So John the Baptist, Elijah, and and others, one of the prophets. One of the prophets. So then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And guess who answered? Peter, yes. Yes, Peter. The number one disciple. The first one to jump in there. Feet first. Whether the water was hot or cold. And oftentimes he would get in trouble, as we'll see. Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. Or, could be translated, the Anointed One. Or the Christ. Um, And of course, we know that in the Old Testament, there's, there's this prediction that there would be one who would come, who would, who would set um, Israel right again. It would, it would be, they would become powerful as a kingdom again, that the Messiah would be the king of that. So this is a pretty big thing that he's saying. You are the Messiah. And then typical of Mark, Jesus says, and then it says, and he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo, undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. 
He said all of this quite openly to the disciples. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at the disciples, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not in divine things, but on human things. Now I want to get something very clear here. The word Satan, we, we make a great big deal about, right? We get freaked out about when we start saying Satan. The word Satan can mean just deceiver or accuser or troublemaker, basically. I mean, just someone who is not leading you in the right direction. So anytime you have a friend who's not leading you in the right direction, you just call them Satan, okay? I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll really like that. It's all, you know, make them very happy. Satan. Anyway, they'll get the message. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, you deceiver. Get behind me. You're, you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So I want you to notice something. He's been with the disciples. Now it changes. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my teaching in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's a lot going on in this passage, and I'm not going to unpack all of it. It's a different question, isn't it? To ask somebody, what are, peop- what are other people saying about me? Right? Right? Ever been in an organization where somebody comes and says, well, people are saying, right? People are saying. They're not, you know, clearly they aren't saying it. They're just reporting to you that people are saying. I mean, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But if we ask, if we say, well, what, what, are, what do other people think of me? Right? A friend might say, well, I think other people think this or that. But then it's a, diff- it's a very different question. What do you think of me? Who do you say that I am? That's a very personal thing, isn't it? It's a very risky question. Because one, is the person asking the question, if I'm, if I'm asking faith, you know, who... Who, who do you say that I am? That's a very risky question. One for me, because do I really want to hear what she has to say? Right? And two, does she, does she feel safe enough to tell me? Right? No? Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, takes, a, that, takes, a, that takes a level, that takes a level of trust, right? That takes a level of trust that, that is not always, not always shown. Most of the time, because we're being kind, we'll, we'll soft-pedal our opinions, right? And maybe rightfully so. Maybe, maybe we should temper them sometimes. And we probably shouldn't give that answer right after something's happened. You know, right after you've gotten in a fight with your spouse, it's probably not the time to tell them what you think of them. Probably not. You probably ought to think about, 
You know, the longevity, the arc of your relationship, not just the pinpoint that you're at right now. But the question for those of us who say that we follow Jesus is, who do we say that he is? Who do I say that Jesus is? Because that that can change a whole host of things. Because there are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is a great spiritual teacher, right? Maybe even a great example to follow, right? And I think that's, that's a wonderful way to think of, of Jesus in, in some ways. We can, we can learn much from him in that way. But I don't know that when we think he's a great example or a great spiritual teacher, that then, that then we we're willing to, to do what he says later. If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Because that's part of the teaching that we, that we probably, when we think of Jesus as just the great teacher, that we don't like to think about so much. Because I know for me, like, I, I'm willing to, I, I, I want to align myself, I want to align myself with teachers who are teaching me, you know, how to become more. How to, how, to, how, to, how, to be, how to inflate my brand. How to make my Facebook page everybody, the desire of everybody else. Right? So that people are, so that people are liking and commenting on, on, on everything that I'm saying, on my live videos. That, those are the teachers I want to follow. But Jesus' message is, you know, is, if you're going to follow me, you're, You've got to leave some things behind. This is going to be a radical reorientation. If, if you're going to call me Messiah, anointed one, savior, the one who is going to lead you in righteousness and truth, if you're going to call me that, it, it's going to fundamentally affect what you say about yourself. And the first thing is, is to remember that you're a child of God. That that supersedes everything. That Jesus, in calling you, is calling you as a brother and a sister. That that fundamentally is never going to change. And that that fact, that that being part of that family then, frees us, frees us to live into what it means to follow Jesus. which is to double down on generosity and gratitude and grace. Which is, as some one commentator said, and I just I love this phrase because it's got alliteration in it, to prioritize people over property values. To align ourselves, as I've said before, with those that Jesus would align himself with. It's going to call things out of us if we say that Jesus is the Messiah. If we, if we call him um, Savior and Lord, it is going to call us down a path that we never saw coming. 
that we couldn't anticipate because we're going to make decisions that other people would not make. We're going to walk into situations that other people would not be willing to walk into because we believe we are called to do that. We are going to spend our money in ways that other people would not be willing to do. They would call frivolous or silly or stupid because we believe that God, Jesus, has called us in a gospel way to use the resources we have for the kingdom. And we're going to be a lot less worried about what our brand is. Because we left our brand behind. And we took on Jesus. We took on that life. It ought not be comfortable. I mean, this is not an award-winning PR campaign here. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. <laughs> take up your cross. Right? This is not, I mean, this is not, this is not, this is not how people lead, right? It's like, oh, if you want to follow me, I'll show you the way to riches and to glory and to influence and to impact. That's what I'm gonna that that oh yeah, I'm sign me up. But who we say Jesus is will cause us to do things that we, one, never thought we would say yes to or that we never thought we, would, we, would, we have the ability to do. But because we begin to trust in the Spirit of God that is in us, we, we, we begin to walk into things trusting that God is in the midst of it. And it's not that we, we don't, we're not becoming martyrs here. That's not, that's not where I'm going. I don't, I don't think, even though he talks about taking up your cross, I don't think he's saying everybody who becomes a Christian has to give their life for the faith, literally. I mean, you're going to die anyway, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus died. We're going to die. We're going to share the death that he'd had. We're also going to share the new life. That he had, and we can share that new life now if, when we follow him. But when we begin to align ourselves with him, when we begin to do that and we live into this, we live into this new life, we are able to say no to things and yes to things in a very different way. And people are probably going to say, what, why would you do that? Where's that leading you? Where's that taking you? I don't know, but it's of the kingdom. It's aligning me with the person who I'm following and it's aligning me with the people that he would want me to be aligned with. Calling Jesus Savior and Lord, whatever that, whatever that means, as you begin to work that out for your own faith, might even cause you to agree to serve as an elder on the session. That was supposed to be funny. Stephanie's shaking in her shoes now. There is no glory in serving as an elder. Am I right? Am, elders in the room? I mean, not, not just the ones that are on session now, but is, is, wait, is there any glory in serving on the session? I mean, did you, I mean, in terms of, is there, do you get some prestige? Did, did, is there a brand new car involved? No. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, maybe everlasting life, right? 
I mean, and what's amazing to me is like, like, like Wade and Rhonda, both of them were called at different times to be elders by God. And you as the congregation said, yes, we believe that they're being called. And they both said yes, and they both served, knowing knowing that, you know, it's not necessarily a resume builder. It's good, hard, spiritual leadership work. Just like it is to be a follower of Jesus. Because when you're a disciple, when you follow him, you see people differently. You begin to see yourself differently. As the amazing and beautiful, spirit-filled person that you are, and also in good Presbyterian fashion, as the totally depraved and messed up person who makes wrong decisions, person who only looks out for his or herself that you are, and you hold that together in Christ and you say, it is good. When you call upon Jesus' name, when you say who he is for you and you follow him, and you give your life for the sake of the life of the kingdom, you affect everyone around you. You become a light in the darkness. You become a person who points the way to life that our culture cannot give, that our world cannot give, that only comes through this self sacrificing, self-giving love that we find in Jesus. And I know that's not a popular message. But that is the message. And so today, we're going to do something that is just one of my favorite things in worship. Besides baptism and the Lord's Supper, Ordaining an elder is just one of, the, one of the joys of my heart. Because what it says to me is that this message that Jesus has given to all of us is calling people into following him. That is, it is a message that is still impacting people today and drawing them into a life of giving and sacrifice and leadership that they may never have thought that they could do. And even as they're ordained, they may not believe they're up to it. But they have been called. And you have confirmed that call. And today, we will ordain Stephanie to this service as an elder in this church. And she, in many ways, will be taking up her cross and following Jesus wherever he leads.
So I ask you to examine your hearts, your minds, your life. Where is it that your life is not necessarily aligned with the kingdom? Where is that? What might that be? And figure out how you're going to change that. You might say, I don't know. How, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. Well, we're all called into the things that we might not know how to do, but the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the energy to do that. So examine your life. Take time to reflect on the gifts and the grace that God has given you through all the people who have led you, all the elders who have gone before you, all those people of faith who have taught you in Sunday school, who have shown you the way, all those people who gave you that one little word. Maybe they didn't know they were a messenger of God, but they gave you that one little word that helped you to keep going just one more step. Examine your life. Where does it line up with the kingdom and where does it not? And do you want, are you willing to take that next step in following him? And when you do, it will change who you say you are. And always remember that in Jesus, you are first and foremost a beloved child of God. Amen.